This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Welcome to this week's Liverpool.com podcast. It's Dan Morgan and Oliver Connolly from the Liverpool.com team, but we are joined by esteemed company from Blood Reds, Kai Delaney and Matt Addison. Jens, hope you're all well. Um, plenty to discuss this week. Well, Liverpool, Manchester United, is there anything else to talk about? I don't know. We will try. Um, it feels like we've been building up to this game bigger than the Champions League final, to be honest. Um, it's It's been one of those whereby it has seemingly become uh, all manner of importance to everything Liverpool-related over the last week or so. But I want to have a chat, first and foremost, Matt, about the Premier League table. Um, it's becoming part of our, I guess, our existential anxiety as Liverpool supporters looking at the table now. Are we are we doing this wrong? Are we are we right to to be concerned at the table at this point? Are we are we in some way spoiled by what Liverpool and Manchester City have done to a Premier League table over the last two years? To be honest, I think there's a couple of, of different ways of, of looking at it. I think, first and foremost, we have been spoiled over the last couple of seasons. We've not needed to look at the table because we knew exactly where Liverpool were. We knew roughly how many points ahead of everybody else they were. And obviously, that isn't likely to, to ever be the case this season, just with the way that it is. But there is the, the sort of viewpoint that you just sort of take each game as it comes. And I'm sure we'll hear that line plenty of times from Jurgen Klopp and, and plenty of other managers in this title race. But... The way that, that I'm looking at it at this particular moment in time is that we're almost in a false position. We forget, I think, because we're so many months into this season, that the season did start late and Liverpool this season have played 17 matches. Um, the 17th match of, of last season was, I think, on the, the 14th or 13th of December against Watford. So we're essentially, in terms of how far elapsed this Premier League season is this year, We've not even reached Christmas in a normal season. And I think people forget that. I think we're, you know, normally you, you sort of say whoever's top on, on Boxing Day or, or whatever, there's always that stat that comes out that there's only been one or two teams that have not gone on to win the league from that perspective and, and that point in the season. But, you know, we, we haven't actually reached that point in the season really, even mm. though we are now in mid-January. So, you know, Liverpool, they will play their 22nd game uh, of this season on uh against Brighton in the middle of February. The, the same weekend that we're coming up to this season compared to last season was Manchester United. That was Liverpool, the 2-0 the win last season. That was Liverpool's 22nd game. So we are almost in a false position. So I think you do look at the table and I think if you look at the fixtures of the teams around Liverpool, you, you do have to sort of hope that Liverpool get some consistency and, and get themselves to the top of that table and stay there over the next few weeks. But there is also that thing in the back of my mind that we're not actually as far through the season as, as maybe a few people think. We had a chat this morning, Ollie, uh, about about this. And, and, you know, we mentioned the fact that what Manchester United are doing now, what Spurs done, you know, before Christmas, this is, this is what top four teams need to do in, in any normal existence to, to guarantee that they are just that. I mean, they have to put together runs that essentially get them to the point of where they need to be to finish in those Champions League places. The difference this year is, as Matt alluded to, there's no there's no steam train of Liverpool or Manchester City. There's no guarantee that you know that Liverpool and Manchester City will battle it out for the title and compete in a, a 95-plus point season. So I guess what we're seeing is 
essentially what normally plays out in in a, in a non-Liverpool City world in which the league is probably won by mid to late 80 points and everyone else just forms then underneath that. It's going to be, this is going to be in the sense of, of conventional Premier League title races, one which is defined by April and May, not October and November. Yeah, I think the two of us have been banging this drum pretty hard throughout the season of just wait till April, survey the landscape at April, see how many points you need. And I, I remember Mark and I, um, right around boxing, if we went through the old Ferguson exercise, which is a fabulous story that is probably untrue, that he used to open up all the fixtures, didn't even know where the table was, Dan. He had so many league titles, he didn't care. And he would sit there with a the scotch, pull out all the fixtures and would map through, okay, Honestly, how many points are we going to get? What will the results be? And what will our nearest competitors get? Because by Christmas Day, he knew who that was. Was it Mourinho? Was it Wenger? And try and plot out. And then he would just tabulate alongside that. Are we ahead of schedule? Are we behind schedule? Is this thing done already? Will it not be done? Mark and I did that. And once you start going through those back end of the season fictionless, where Liverpool are right now is the most challenging period. Uh, once they get to that 22nd game, like Matt said, they should pretty much have, I think, a clean run. Particularly when you look at down the stretch, the volume of games that Spurs, City and United will have to play and that we haven't seen Solskjaer navigate a two-game-in-a-week season successfully yet. That's usually when he's been in trouble, when they're having to play multiple games and string sometimes three and eight days. That's when he's had real trouble as a manager. So I think that there is just almost no use looking at the thing until, like Matt said, the corresponding time to normal season that would be 22 games. And just like you said, resetting expectations, 90 points this season would be an unbelievable achievement, and that would guarantee you the title, I believe. 88 points is probably your benchmark. And aim for that, and they are on course for that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Kai, where are you with all of this? That the there is the the other the other things at play here, which is obviously the context of the the scheduling, the calendar, the fixtures, and and the fact that we're in the middle of a global pandemic. You know, we don't know how, when, and if this season gets to play out in in the way in which everyone's planning it. There's obviously a relentless um, surge to have the Euros done in the summer, which in my opinion, is absolutely flawed um, within that. But but there's, I guess what I'm getting to is that there's going to be a lot of a bumps in the road before we even get to that point of Liverpool being five to play even. There, there is. I mean, it's it's obviously the strangest season probably ever in Premier League history, but in, in some ways it's also made it the first normal season for quite a long time in terms of the points and the table and, and the standings. Like you say, there's, there's no team that's been producing the standards that Liverpool and, and City have done over the last few years. Um, so we're having a, a first proper title race between a lot of teams for the first time in, in a long time. Um, but there, there's lots lots to happen. Obviously, every, every other week you've got someone is shutting down their training ground or game. Even this morning, Everton against Villa has been postponed. So you, you just have to kind of take it literally week by week, which is you know, an old, uh, old cliche, one game at a time. But that is the situation that everyone is in. Um, just have to kind of keep plodding through. And I think with the Liverpool situation, so many injuries and the, the current climate, I think as, as long as they're within five or six points with five or six games to go at the end, that's all they can hope for. And then um, if it, you've got people like Van Dijk coming back towards the end, I think now Liverpool are in their toughest period and they're only going to get stronger from here on out. I think it's interesting, isn't it, Kai, just to come back to you, that we see this Liverpool team arguably struggle most when it has breaks in between fixtures and, and breaks in and around fixtures. It's it's a team that, that can and, and often does thrive on two games a week. 
Um, so you imagine when that sort of business end does start coming up, if they remain in the cups as well, that barring any any major catastrophes further in terms of injury, that this, this is this is an environment which could play out to Liverpool's benefit, and and as Ollie points out, not to the benefit of others. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's worrying to say that given that we're going to be facing United off the back of a nine day break, but <laughs> um, with the uh, the the fixtures and like you say the the Euros penciled in for the season has to finish in May May the twenty third and there's not really any room to negotiate that between now and the end of the season they are going to have to play pretty much two games a week every week we've still got the Champions League factor into that as well which they've progressed obviously the FA Cup so I think it suits suits Liverpool when they've got um, all the the players back from injuries and the kind of squad depth that they don't necessarily have at the moment. I think like Jota, Thiago is now back. You could see Van Dijk towards the end of the season, Simakas still. So there are there is depth in those positions. I think um, it it's, it's, will suit Liverpool and other teams, as, as Oli alluded to, City, Tottenham, have got absolutely packed fixtures more so than us because of games that they've already missed and had postponed. Uh, I think it will suit Liverpool from, from here on out. I wrote this morning, Matt, about this being the type of season that the manager hates the most. You know, if you were to write down what would what would constitute a nightmare environment for Jürgen Klopp to work in, it would be this. It would be no supporters, the lack of emotion, um, you know, the, the sort of sterile football that we're seeing, teams with masses of injury problems. Um, it, is, it is a massive challenge to him. And it got me thinking about, Sort of what 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 this does, what this environment does to this Liverpool team, and the two things do in a way go hand in hand. I'd say you know Liverpool, Liverpool need the 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 excitement, the emotion of of the Premier League, the fast paced, re- relentless nature of it. You know, and, and and with this fixture coming up, it's it's more prevalent than most that all of the things that Jurgen Klopp has put together to make Liverpool successful. Are the things that he's he's now finding uh, are in in his absence and continue to be for the for the foreseeable future? Yeah, I think it, it's a really interesting point, isn't it? The the fact that Liverpool and I think there's other examples around the Premier League. I think Sheffield United would they have been so poor if they had fans inside the stadium? No, I don't think they would be. I think there's you know a few teams around the league where fans do make you know more of an impact than than other teams and. I think it's impossible to, to sort of quantify how much that has made a difference for Liverpool this season. But there's no doubt for me that that it has. I think, you know, you compare them to a Manchester City in other seasons. We've sat here and, and talked about how, you know, the, the fans and, and Anfield and, and all of that sort of, you know, the, the power of the stadium and all that sort of thing is a genuine, tangible thing that makes a difference. And, and that could give Liverpool an advantage. So, yeah, if you take that and... As you say, you, you take a team which is built around harnessing that and almost playing in in waves at times and, and pushing forward with the crowd and, and sort of allowing the crowd almost at times to, to dictate the way that they play and, and the way that they go about matches. They have periods where you know they, they go all out and, and they attack and they have other periods where they just take a breath and, and sort of use the, the surroundings and the environment to, to determine when that is. So I think it's a, a huge, huge thing for, for Liverpool, but... I think an even bigger thing for me is the sort of strange gaps between games. I mean, I've written and we've done a video on our YouTube channel recently on rhythm. And and that's, you know, obviously a word that Jurgen Klopp uses 
a lot. What we've seen so far this season is that there has been sort of gaps, you think, before the West Brom game. What was it, eight days before that? There was a gap. We're now looking at a nine-day gap or a 13-day gap between Southampton and Manchester United for Liverpool. But then, as much as you've got those big gaps, I think after Manchester United, there's going to be periods... Well, certainly there will be periods where Liverpool play twice a week. I think there'll be certain weeks where they will have to play three times because matches will get postponed because of COVID and things like that. You're going to go from one extreme to the other where I think for Jurgen Klopp, the perfect balance is to sort of have these games spread out equally so he can do the rest and recovery. He can have the training sessions, but you don't lose that momentum and you don't lose that rhythm, which is so important for Liverpool, where I think what we've seen so far this season is there's just been so many matches that you get injuries and you you struggle to keep everyone fit. Or the opposite way, you have so much time on the training ground that it's almost a, a disadvantage for Liverpool. So I think, you know, moving forward, if Liverpool do have two games a week, that will help them in terms of that rhythm, as long as the injury situation doesn't get too bad. But yeah, there's there's a couple of things there which I think have, have probably made a, a significant difference for Liverpool. You spoke a lot around Villa, Ollie, about getting to train 11 v 11. You know, mm-hmm. you talked about you don't, you have the full week off, so therefore we can do more 11 v 11 stuff. And I think, I think that's where he wants his priorities to be. You know, you think about those warm weather camps that he eulogises over so much. That's so because he can get his lads in the shape of a game and to work on the stuff that he loves to work on. But it's hard to find, it's hard to judge or guess where, where his balance is with that because, you know, we can we can look at an eight-day break and say, okay, they've got tons and tons of time to to work and train in there. But when you're dealing with, when you're dealing with players with niggles and knocks, when you're dealing with your sports science team saying, I'm, I wouldn't do that much with him today, when you're dealing with a team in the middle of a really arduous season, then... It's not as if it's a you know a pre-season, everyone's back, they've just done the lactate tests and everyone's good to go. They've got miles to put in the legs. This is a different scenario he's managing all the time. So I guess I'm just wondering sort of why it is that Liverpool don't always respond great to, to more breaks between games. I don't know. It's a, it's a strange one because, like you say, particularly back in Dortmund, everything was about those preseason breaks or the, the the midseason break. It was almost as if he didn't think the team or the season started until they got off to Dubai for a fortnight, and then they would come back and they would just roll through everyone. So it's a really strange one. I do think this season is a it's a season of clumps. It's like you you see Spurs the t- contenders for four weeks because they have a good four week run. There's so many games you can really rack up points and performances and memorable things. And I do think with this. With this team in particular, this team feels like an event team more than the two in the past, that they need a moment to play. When the fans are back, they're right up for it. You go through the best performances this year in terms of how they passed and moved the ball in particular. Chelsea away, they were unbelievable. That first 30 minutes against City before everyone just kind of fell off a cliff. And the Spurs on with the fans back. When there's a moment to get up for it, they yeah. seem like they're right at it. It seems like they're the best. It's it's kind of the self-starting, sleepwalking through those first 15 minutes against Newcastle and Southampton, where maybe you've had some more time, maybe you're not as switched on, not as focused. There aren't the fans like you've spoken about, and they just can't self-start. So I do wonder if there's, a, there's just an, an energy thing there with the breaks. It's a really, really tough one to put you to figure out because they have had fans in the stands whenever there's normally been a break. Um I think one thing that will help this year is they kind of kind of get keep getting nice additions back every couple of weeks now. You know, they got Ox back, they got Tiago back, then here comes Jota. It's like, oh, hello, we're off and going. There will come a point where they have their four-week run 
where they just start wiping the floor of everyone, right? Coalesces around Tiago and Jota and, and everyone's firing. That that point will come and they will hit a groove where for four weeks they play as well as anyone else in the league. And it's what can you squeeze out of that four weeks? And once we hit that point, we'll be thankful there's three games in a week, but they will not come fast enough when when everything starts to click. And that will come at some point. Um, it's just just waiting on, on that run to come. I, I think this was my sort of FA, FA Cup point at the time, Kai, was that, you know, you, you can't, you've got no other way of getting rhythm into player number 11 to player number 18 unless they're playing in games like the FA Cup. And that, you know, that becomes inevitably harder when you inevitably draw Manchester United away and Manchester City inevitably draw Marine, even though they went out to Tottenham the round before. So it's um, it, it's a difficult one to judge and fathom because it's it's really, really important that Liverpool have an Oxlade-Chamberlain and Abby Keita as Jadon Shaqiri ready for when they need them. But they're not going to be ready unless they have they have games in the tank and miles in the legs. And that's where my sort of two-game-a-week comes into it. The problem with that, inevitably, is you very quickly end up in a position where you need to win every game. And it's then more of a risk to drop in a Takumi Minamino um, against Crystal Palace, for example, even though you go on to... To, you know, absolutely wipe the floor with them. If that game doesn't go well, then everyone's looking at the manager saying, "Why did you do that?" And and it's the chicken and the egg. But I think I think that's where it comes into it because this manager, I know I'm talking a lot, is very small C conservative in that sense. In that he backs his probably one to thirteen lads, and he's he's at times overly reluctant to use player thirteen to twenty or player eleven to eighteen, and that's. That's something that he might have to roll the dice with and, and especially if he's trying to change how Liverpool attack over over the next coming weeks and months, he might have to look at some other options. Yeah, I mean, if you look at um, the, the games this season so far, a lot of the team has stayed the same, primarily through the spine. You look at the front three, have played more or less every game. Um, the defence, we know the situation there, have been very limited in, in the players that have been available. So, Fabinho, for example, has played almost every minute this season when he's been available. And um, I think Klopp would, would need a situation where Minamino, for example, at Palace, he came in and played played very well. Probably one of his best Liverpool performances to date. We haven't actually seen him start a game since, but that's that's what Klopp's going to be needing more of this season when you can drop in the players like a Minamino. Shakiri, there's been a lot of cool um, after his performance off the bench in the last game. So players like like Minamino, Shakiri, Jota, obviously when he's back, he was he was flying, but he he could argue that um, he'd he'd be starting in the strongest eleven anyway when they're available. But we're gonna need a lot of those players um who are on the bench and in and around the fringes to step up when they're called called upon. And um yeah, like I say, it's, it's trying to find that right opportunity. If you if you have two or three games in a week, you are going to have to start probably Oxlade Chamberlain or Naby Keiter in in one of them. But if you if you start them at Brighton away and, and you end up drawing the game, questions are going to be asked. We'll go to United then, Ollie. We've we've put it off for long enough. Um, <laughs> we've certainly written about it enough on the site. So get over there and check that out. There's plenty of United content there. Um, again, we had a chat this morning and we talked about how Manchester United set up especially in attack, is going to be key to how the game plays out and also how Liverpool deal with that. You know, I, I said to you, I expect United to 
and you said it to, as well. To be fair, to to almost clone the Southampton model of of attacking in numbers and pressing in numbers and really locking on to to Liverpool in the final third to stop them playing through. For me, you know, regardless of personnel, which we'll come to, it's all about whether Liverpool beat that first line of the United Press. And if they do, then I think I think they can sort of take the game away from United, maybe not in score, but in spirit in the first 30 minutes in particular. Yeah, it's a fascinating one. Kind of that concept of beating the first line of press and who plays is what goes hand in hand. If you do not have Joel Matip, then your progressive passing from the back just falls completely off a cliff. It vanishes. Against Southampton, the plan, as you mentioned, they kind of pressed really high up the pitch for 15 minutes, sagged off, said, let's let them get frustrated, pass the ball around all they want. But if they don't beat us in those first 15 minutes, we think we can, it's a wrap, mm. um, which it was in the end. Um, yeah. And what was also interesting is they funneled the play through Trent and Joel had an excellent piece about how, how much deeper Trent has been playing and his form is more so impacted by the movement around him. When you look at how they funneled him in, he had two options, which was a pass right across his own goal to a dropping number six. You never really want to do that. Or a really tricky pass to Mo Salah based on how Southampton funneled the press. And you can see a similar situation happening here with United if Solskjaer wants to, where it's like you target that right-sided centre-back and say, you have the ball, mate. Go ahead. Do you want to play the ball between the lines? Do you have the confidence to do that? If it's Jordan Henderson, he probably does. If it's Reese Williams, he's proven he doesn't really. They kind of just shuffle it along to Trent, and that's where the trap comes. They say, yeah, shuffle it along to Trent, and we use the sideline as our friend, and two of them will hem in and press up to Trent, and now he's starting from a really deep position, and your most effective player, the fulcrum of your creative play, we've just ripped out the side. So it's a real problem. I think, as I mentioned at the time, I think part of Klopp's frustration in, in that game and the, the first 20 minutes of Newcastle too, was less so about the officiating and how poor that was and the fact that they should have beaten that press. He had a team of midfielders on the pitch and they couldn't string three passes together from the back. Um, so I think just given the mobility of United's front line, how Solskjaer, to give him credit, he's not this caricature of this PE teacher who can't coach. He's actually been really good at one-off game plans and they struggled to have this kind of continuity and consistency until this last calendar year. He's been brilliant at mapping up one game um, targeting one area of issue and really going after it. So I, I can see him going after that with, with a more mobile front three. And then you just got to hope the Liverpool can patch away together to, to be that front line of the press. It probably is putting Henderson in the back. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Solskjaer fascinates me for this one, Matt. I, I, I'm, I'm not saying that he. I'm not saying that him being a former United player is necessarily positive in this sense. If this was a, a Mauricio Pochettino, Manchester United, for example, I would be a lot more worried in that I think they would be almost certain to stick to a specific game plan that they've been working on all week that they completely remove emotion from is, is the point I'm trying to make. United will will be prepared for Liverpool. They'll, they'll have a plan for Liverpool. But I'm not certain that if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is preparing his team now, he's preparing them to get out of Anfield with a frustrating, with with frustrating Liverpool by either a nil-nil or, or winning one-nil. I I wonder whether he, the the body of evidence that the body of of knowledge that he has as a player and, and an associate of of that club, will at some point mean that he tries to assert a Manchester United imprint on Liverpool at some point as them as title rivals, as them as bona fide um, title contenders. I, I don't know, that could be me just overly speculating, but I do think there is a, a possibility of him maybe becoming over-emotional in this one in, in terms of his decision-making. 
I think it'll tell us a lot, to be honest, about how serious Manchester United are in this title race. I think for them, certainly, and, and probably for Liverpool as well, a point isn't the worst result in the world in terms of where both teams are. I think if if you said to me now the game finishes 1-1, I think you know most of us are, are all right with that. I think Liverpool have got the capability to go and win that game, but... You just want to to be sort of in and around that sort of area. I know that Manchester City have got some favourable fixtures. I think they play six times before Liverpool and I'd be surprised if they didn't win five at least of those matches. But as long as, as Liverpool take a point from this one, go forward and, and sort of take a few steps forward, it's not the end of the world. And I think for Manchester United, particularly because it's at Anfield, it's even more the case that if they draw this game, that's probably you know, a really, really good result for them. But as you say, I think it's it's going to be really interesting and, and really telling to see what they do if they do come to Anfield and, and play, not play for a draw because that would be a, a risk, but let's say it gets to, to 70 minutes and it's nil-nil. What do they do then? Do they go for it? Do they try and, and do almost what I think would be a, a bit of a, a naive way of going about it? And then, you know, possibly they win, possibly they lose. You know, who knows what happens from that point? But I think the, the sensible thing from, from Solskjaer and, and from Manchester United would be to play it relatively safe, to, to go into this game knowing that they've got an advantage over Liverpool and, you know, a point would, would maintain that for them. So I think it'll be really interesting to, to see what he does um, who knows at this point we, we haven't seen Manchester United in this position for, for a long long time have we we haven't seen what Solskjaer is like in these big matches towards you know the, the second half of a, a season where they're in a title race so this is almost the, the first opportunity for us to really work out what they're going to be about this season I think the the worry for me at the end of this game would be if it is a draw and if they have come to Anfield and, and stifled Liverpool that would suggest that they're in it for the long run. If they sort of go about it a little bit naively, I think that will probably give Liverpool a lot more hope. I think the big question, Kai, in terms of Liverpool and selection is is around centre-back. John Matip wasn't in training pitches yesterday and it, it looks like he's now in a race against time to make it. It, it would be then for me uh, a straight shootout between Jordan Henderson and Reese Williams. I, I can't for the life of me see Nath Phillips getting near this one from the start. So when he does, uh, when he does appear in the lineup on Sunday, feel free to clip this and put it out on Twitter. Um, but for me, it would be between Henderson and Williams, and, and it would be for a lot of what Ali mentioned in terms of Liverpool's ability to pass progressively. I don't think Henderson does a lot wrong defensively against Southampton. Is the other thing I'd say. I think um, he, he's he's perfectly competent in terms of his his one on one battles. I think he can he can hold the position well enough, but. As ever, you know, it's it's what you then lose in midfield areas. And and it's it's almost where Jurgen Klopp puts his Jordan Henderson eggs in, in terms of what does he does he prioritise him as a midfielder or a defender for this one and roll the dice with with someone like Reese Williams. Yeah, it's it's a tricky one. I think as you say, Matip's looking like he's not gonna make it based on the training pitches. I think if he was remotely fit and had a chance, I think Klopp would gamble. It's our biggest game of the season. It's, it's the biggest game of the season in the Premier League so far. And I think if if we can win and, and really lay down a marker, it will do a, a lot for us going forward for the rest of the season. And as much as it would do well for us, it would it would knock United as well. But to Williams or, or Henderson, is Henderson can play either pretty comfortably. I think if you play him as a centre back, that's maybe the safe option. I, I, I'd say he's less of a less likely to make a mistake or less of a gamble 
at the back than maybe Williams is. We've seen him. Williams hasn't done done too much wrong by all accounts, but he he's had you know, the occasional error. We saw him beaten by um, the, the young Villa lad. His name escapes me. The goal. Oh, um, God, he's gone from me as well. He's the next Lionel Messi as well. Louis Barry. Louis Barry. So, um, yes, yeah, I, I, I would like to go with Henderson as a centre-back. The issue then is you lose him as the the, the legs and the holding midfielder and his ability to play through United if they are going to come and play, play a low block and, and try and get the draw. Um, but with the option of having Thiago now, I, I think you get Henderson as the defender in the centre-back and... Thiago is a six. Feels like Thiago is going to be massive in this one, Ollie. It's almost certainly starts. Um, and it's in in terms of what Liverpool need to do differently, his ability to to pass through those those phases and, and pass through those lines into certain areas are going to be massive for Liverpool. I am I am slightly concerned that he's coming into a Liverpool team that isn't in great form, and for that reason. I want him not to become the player that they become over reliant on. You know, Thiago's on the pitch, just give it to him. He'll sort yeah. it all out. You don't you don't ideally you'd want him to come into a side that he came into in that second half against Chelsea, whereby the game was won after five minutes, barely barely by Liverpool turning up, you knew they were winning that game. So it's it's a, a mild concern that you've got a player that educated, that knowledgeable, that good, that you know, others then just pass the mantle on a little bit and say, "Okay, you do that." This this whole ethos of Klopp's Liverpool has been built around a, a collective um, with individual jobs, but all making the thing tick and, and work at the same time. Yeah, I think that the thing that probably differentiates him where that concern is dampened is he's not like a Kevin De Bruyne where you see when City are in trouble, you just go and look, you've done this before, go and look at Kevin De Bruyne's long shots in games they lose. They give him the ball, they say, please carry us to the promised land. It's kind of Steven Gerrard type stuff with a better team around him. Thiago's whole brilliance is he gets everyone else involved. That's that's him impacting the game. It's layoff, give me the ball back, I'll lay it off again, let's go. And he kind of cranks you through the gears and he will play some, you know, passes to get 15,000 retweets on Twitter and stuff, but his whole the whole point of him is to make everyone else better. It's not dragging you all on his own and like jumping on his cape and he'll take you there. So I think that that dampens it a little bit. The, the thing, I think it does go to the centre-back issue. That Reese Williams has been fine. I don't think it would be harsh to criticise him. What he does is he restricts what they can do. There's just no doubt about that. And I, I, this really, for me, is, is a almost a Klopp psychology match with his team selection. Does he want to go 4-2-3-1? Does he want to go 4-3-3? Does he have the cojones to start Henderson in the back and to not stick a natural defender there? This is a big brother game. The same way they did to Chelsea in that 45 minutes, the same way they did to Tottenham. Oh, you're the latest challenger? We'll knock you down. And, and United's the next one through the gate. Okay, let's go have them. Uh, I, this really needs to be like a throwback two years ago you know, ball zipping around everywhere, a bluster game, 2-0 in 35 minutes, and United looking shell-shocked like teams can move that fast. I didn't realise this was the level we had to ascend to. Yeah, the championship level is up there, not this little getting by with, you know, terrible performances away at West Ham where you sneak a couple of goals at the end. That's not how you win titles anymore. So I, I would really like him to say, we are building this system around Thiago in the middle with Henderson at the back, and we're really going for him. Let's see if they can match it. The, the other um the other option the other the other thing on the table here matt is is, the, is a change of system um you know does he 
look at a, a one and one Adam and Thiago base and bring in a player like Shakiri. I I have a sneaking suspicion Shakiri might get the nod for this one from the start. Um, I think it would be bold from Jurgen Klopp to to introduce. Okay, it's a system he's played before, but to introduce it again in a, in a game like Manchester United when they've got the four three three, they know the way home with the four three three. I think it'd be massively bold, but there is there is the option there, the other option, which is to to revert to a four two three one and give Liverpool that extra sort of Diogo Jota type attacker, maybe in the form of Shane Shaqiri, maybe in the form of Alex Oxley Chamberlain. You don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it would be bold. Um, but at the same time, if it was Diogo Jota that we were talking about instead of Zerdan Shakiri, I mean, 100% I'd be doing it. So is it that much different, really? I'm not sure it is. I think the options in midfield, if you do end up playing Jordan Henderson at centre-back, would edge me even further towards a 4-2-3-1. It doesn't look like Naby Keita is going to be back. He's the same as Joel Matip. We didn't see him in the training pictures earlier this week. So it looks like he's going to be out. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, for me, has, has just looked miles off it. I wouldn't have him starting in a game like this on the, the evidence that we've seen so far. And you know that, that's nothing against him as a player. He's just... For me, just looked, you know, really rusty since he's come back from injury. And of course, the only way to get back to his previous levels is to play. But I don't think Manchester United is the game to be to be doing that. So, if you were to go four two three one, I think it would be a Shakiri. I think you'd, you know, play Mohamed Salah through the middle, Shakiri off the right. And we have seen, you know, that work for Liverpool so far this season, but just not necessarily in in games as big and, and important as Manchester United. So it it would be bold, but I mean. I would be, I'd be tempted by it for, for a couple of reasons. As I say, if you have to play Henderson, I think you might be forced into that. But I think it also might help in terms of the fullbacks if you've got an extra sort of creative player in, in Shakiri, you've got Thiago just behind him. I think it it maybe takes a, a little bit of the strain off someone like Trent Alexander-Arnold to, to get forward. We know that if Jordan Henderson's at, at centre-back, Trent then has to, to sort of adapt his game and and maybe not push as far forward, maybe not take as many risks as he might do, especially when you think he's going to be up against a, a Martial or a Rashford going the other way. So I think it, if you had that 4-2-3-1, it, it might just change the emphasis in, in the way that Liverpool attack. And if you can take a, a little bit of pressure off Trent's shoulders at, at this moment in time, I think that's probably not a bad way of going about it. Well, one big thing we haven't touched on, Dan, is how Bruno Fernandes factors into all this. Yeah. You know, every every manager wants to just roll up with their system, and Jurgen Klopp more or less does just kind of ignore what the opposition is until they get there on, and, you know, just twenty minutes in or so. But some players are too special and are so important to the whole construct of the team. And Solskjaer has played three at the back, four at the back, diamond, no diamond, two central strikers, one central striker. But no matter what, it's all about how to get the best out of. Fernandez and does he want to have one player screen and shadow him all over the pitch? Does he want to put Henderson in the sixth role and do that? Does he mind compromising that and saying, well, I kind of trust Henderson and Fabinho together to maybe set their point based on where Fernandez is? Does he trust Thiago to go chase him around the pitch? And if you do trust Thiago to do that, does that take him out of being the guy who leads a transition? So it's a it's a really tough kind of puzzle to piece together when you just drop this the best player in the league, the best informed player in the league. Let's just you know, this is what it is. Um, when you drop him on the pitch and he's so essential to what the other team does, you really do kind of have to take your mark off what, what their setup is with him. For what it's worth, I, I, I wouldn't surprise me if this, this becomes, you know, a game defined by a what Liverpool do with Fernandez going one way, but what they do with Roberto Firmino going another. Because if you t- if you take Jürgen Klopp's um, quips whenever Liverpool play Leicester, for example, 
whenever he talks about Jamie Vardy, it's all about stopping the ball getting to Vardy. And often you see how frustrated Madison gets against Liverpool. It's because the front three will drop really narrow, drop really deep. They will stop the screen into the, the whole midfielders, whoever that might be, or the number eights for Leicester. And then therefore, no one gets Madison on the ball and by virtue, no one gets Vardy on the ball. And, and I think this starts and ends with Firmino. You know, I think Firmino will, will have a real job in stopping the ball getting to Paul Pogba. I think he'll, he'll have to cut off those passing lanes massively. I think he'll have to play within that space in which Pogba likes to pick the ball up, feed into Fernandes, and then Fernandes can cause havoc. I think Liverpool have to basically employ that tactic, and they will do, but they have to do it from a lot deeper. So it wouldn't surprise me if if it is Henderson at centre-back, and then it is the, the, the instruction to Trent and Robertson is you just go. You do not worry about what's behind you. You do not worry, worry if, if Martial and Rashford are cheating the other side of you. You do not worry about that. Let someone else deal with it. You go. You turn them round, and what you're essentially left with then is Liverpool, if they stick to the 4-3-3, looking something like a 3-4-3, whereby the number six drops in, centre-back split, Liverpool beat that press, and no one can get the ball to, to Bruno Fernandes because it's just so compact with the three and the four. So I, I think that the, the, the conversation around how they stop Fernandes actually starts with the, the front three and Firmino. And if Liverpool by then can can work on the turnover with that, then that's that's how they're in play in this game, I think. Oh yeah, I forgot I'm I'm posting this. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, it. Phone it in now. Call Linda's. Say hey, we've we figured it out. I'm just gonna hit. I'm just gonna exit the, the screen now. I'm just gonna get off. Um, that's me. Mic drop. Um, one final question then. On the whole, Kai, how do you feel about United? Being in this title race, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of interest in me from from people's sort of perception of what is Liverpool's biggest rival, what's Liverpool's most feared rival, and and there's a lot of people right now really really anxious about the fact that United have a have a, an opportunity, if you like, to go 21 titles after Liverpool getting 19. I mean, where where are you with them being in and around? It? Are you sort of anyone but them, or are you, are you more sort of relaxed? Um, it's probably one of those that will be replayed in May when they're lifting the title or something. But um, <laughs> I'm, I, I think one, two end of the season will still be Liverpool City, and I have right even when City were down in fifth, sixth, all the, the games in hand. I think Liverpool and Man City have the best two squads, the best 11s in the league. Um, you can see City putting the, the run together now. They're 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 well in in the shout and back in the race, and I, I think. United, obviously, they're, they're top and let's face it, they can be six points clear of us if they win. But um, I, I think they're they're in a bit of form, they're, you know, hit a bit of momentum. And I, I think they're on the verge of possibly having a Liverpool 13-14 season with Bruno as the Suarez kind of being the driving force. And look at the support. We had great players kind of backing him up with uh, Sturridge and Sterling. They've got Rashford, Martial. So they have got quality throughout the team and they probably got more experience they have got more experience than the, the side that we had who the Hayers won leagues Cavani coming in for PSGs won everything so um, I feel like if if they beat us on on Sunday and maybe put together a, a few more games and they could just ride that momentum throughout the season like like Liverpool did 13-14 we weren't contenders we started slowly and then all of a sudden Christmas January we kind of find us found ourselves first and kind of kept going with it but um no I, I, 
having said that, I still think they won't be in the top two come the end. Is it is it fair, Matt, to say that that this isn't this doesn't feel like a Manchester United side that or a club that we lived with and and grew up around if you're of a certain age, you know, it doesn't feel like they're back. It doesn't feel like this is a a club that has all of a sudden, you know, found its power again. It does just feel a bit more like Kai says that they're they're in form and that could, hey, listen, that could lead them to a league title. Let's make no bones about that. You know, this league could be decided by moments of brilliance rather than, you know, the attrition of, of, of getting two points a game from now till May and, and going going at that rate. But at the same time, it, it just doesn't feel like to me this is a club back in the same mould as the same identity as I, I identified it in when I was I was watching them sort of yeah be this, this absolute superpower. Yeah, I mean I think, you know, specifically this season for me, it comes down to which team can be the most consistent. And I think if Manchester United were to lose you know, Bruno Fernandes at some point this season, I think immediately they would struggle. I think you, know, you, you don't want to pin it all on him just as 13, 14 Liverpool wasn't all Luis Suarez. There was other players around him. I think if you get one injury for Manchester United, it, it could pretty much, you know, hinder them enough to, to take them out of this title race. So I think it, it's one of those which is is in the balance. They could do it, but I still think Manchester City and Liverpool are more likely to be able to be consistent, especially, you know, they're, they're three points ahead of Liverpool at this moment in time. But, you know, you look at Liverpool's injuries, you look at the players that Liverpool are going to have coming back, you'd imagine that one or two of those coming back could help Liverpool put together a consistent run. I've mentioned Manchester City a couple of times. I'm pretty sure, you know, they're going to win five or six games on the spin now before that big Liverpool game next month, they could have won 10 games in a row. And if they have won 10 games in a row, who knows, that could be, you know, the, the period of this season which wins them the league because, you know, I don't think many teams are, are going to put together a run quite like that. So it's one of those, it, it's very much in the balance, but you, you're absolutely right. It, it doesn't feel like Manchester United are absolutely back. They're not going to be, I don't think, relentless this season. I think there's going to be a point in the season where they struggle. And I think... At this moment in time, everything's going for them. They're getting certain decisions. They're getting certain bits of luck in matches. And you, know, you, you have periods of the season where that is the case. But to do that in any season is difficult for, for the entirety of the campaign. But specifically this season, when there's so many matches, there's so much disruption, I think it, it's going to be even more difficult than ever. So I'd still have Liverpool and Manchester City as favourites. But... I suppose, you know, having said this season is is really weird, I suppose it, it could work the other way as well. And it, it could just be one of those where it just falls into place for them and it, it does happen. But, you know, mathematically speaking, speaking with your head, you, you'd still put Manchester City and Liverpool ahead, I think. Ali, final words with you. Are you going to be peering behind the sofa on Sunday? Nah, I, I just don't think they're very ruthless. I still think they're flaky. Um, we're only, like I said, a fortnight removed from 45 minutes into that West Ham game and Gary Neville's on the commentary saying they're a disgrace to the club again and they need five new signings and the classic refrains we hear at this time of year. I just don't see them, like Matt said, I, there's a real chance here of City just saying 10 games straight in a row and that's it done. I, United are not putting together 10 straight wins at any point. They need it to be a bitty season where everyone's dropping points. And I just can't see Liverpool having this run of form 
sustained for two more months, they will have their own run of, of five, six games where they just blow people off the pitch and they look like they're back. Once Jota's back, once Thiago's settled, once Oxlade-Chamberlain's a real piece that he can use off the bench. Um, so I, I, that doesn't... Um, uh, there's always a world because uh, their squad is fantastic. That's the concerning thing to me is that they are they probably can, if Solskjaer can figure out the game plan angle of it, can get through two, three games in a week with all the rescheduling because their squad is really deep and there's not much drop-off from... 11 to 20 really it's it's pretty clean from there so that would be the concern whereas I think Liverpool and City have a much bigger drop off from their first to second team but to me it's City and you're monitoring their results and if not City and Liverpool can put together like I said that five-week run at some point then it'll be a head-to-head race between those two. Okay thanks to Kai to Matt and to Ollie that's been the Liverpool.com podcast for this week we hope you've enjoyed it and we certainly hope Liverpool hit their form and hit their stride against Manchester United at Anfield this Sunday. We will be back next week. Until then, check out liverpool.com for all your written features and other material on there. See you soon. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.